0: be able to remember all the things uh, that the Holy Spirit has allowed me to learn from this passage, and I pray that you would help me to deliver it in a way that would uh, make sense, Lord, and that the people would learn from it. Father, I pray you just bless the time we have together. In your precious name I pray, amen. Amen. Alright, we are there in Judges chapter number 5, and you know Judges chapter number 5 is known as a passage that is just kind of a commentary on Judges chapter number 4. That's the primary way the passage is known. Now, if you remember last week, we were in Judges chapter 4. Remember, we learned all about Deborah, the prophetess, Deborah the judge and Barak and we went through that whole thing and learned all about that story of Deborah and Barak as they went into battle with Sisera and they won the battle there. Now in chapter 5 if you look at verse 1, the Bible says then sang, you see that word saying there? It says then sang Deborah and Barak the son of Abinam on that day sang. So chapter 5 is a song that they sung in regards to The battle that had just happened. It's about praising God and it's about all those things. But I want you to notice, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time with the practical side of this passage. Because we already talked about Deborah and Barak in chapter 4. But in chapter 5, I want you to understand that this is a song. And it is a commentary of the battle that took place in chapter 4. But it's more than that. And I want you to see that tonight. If you look at verse number 19. Judges chapter number 5 and verse number 19 the Bible says the kings came came and fought then fought the kings of Canaan in Tanakh by the waters of make, make note of this word Megiddo do you see that? now this location of Megiddo is a very important location in scripture and specifically in end times prophecy Megiddo is a valley that is known in the Old Testament as Megiddo, but you understand that the sometimes the way things are spelled or the way they sound in the Old Testament are different. In the New, in the New Testament, the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew, the, the New Testament was primarily spoken in Aramaic, written down in Greek. And this Megiddo that's uh, often referred to throughout the Old Testament, you need to understand is the, the Valley of Megiddo is what we would know in the book of Revelation as the Valley of Armageddon. Alright? And you can see there the spelling Megiddo, Megeddon. It's the same place it's just spelled and pronounced differently in the New Testament. So, what you need to understand is this. Deborah and Barak went to fight against Sisera, and they literally fought a battle in chapter 4 in the valley of Megiddo, or the valley of Armageddon. When Deborah... Keep your finger there in chapter 5, and go go back to chapter 4. I want you to, to, to remember this. Uh, Judges chapter number... 4. And look at verse number 4. Judges chapter 4 and verse 4. And Deborah a prophetess. Do you see that? Remember we talked about a prophetess? Now, not, not and I don't have time to develop this because I had a lot of passages we need to look at. Prophecy in the Bible is not always telling the future, but a lot of times it is. There's two types of prophecy in Scripture. One is uh, foretelling the future, and one is foretelling the word of God. And, and, and that word is used synonymously. But Deborah was a prophetess. Remember, she prophesied the fact that a woman would win, would win the battle there against Sisera. And that prophecy came true. Remember, J.L. was the one that was used to win that battle, not Barak. So when you go to chapter 5, you got to realize that Deborah is a prophetess. And though she is commenting, her and Barak, though she is commenting and singing about the battle that took place at the valley of Megiddo, that her and Barak and Sisera physically fought. In chapter number 4, you need to understand this, that the Spirit of God allowed her and Barak to look into the future to the great Battle, the most well-known battle of the Battle of Armageddon, in chapter five is actually not only a commentary on the ba- the battle that happened in chapter four, but it also teaches us about this great battle that one day God will fight at the valley of the Valley of Armageddon. It's interesting. You say, I've never heard this before. Well, let me prove it to you. Look at verse one. Then saying Deborah and Barak the son of Abinoam on that day saying. Praise ye the Lord for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves, and we can say a lot about that. Practically, these remember there was only two tribes of Pot, Naphtali, and Zebulun, the smallest tribes in Israel, the probably least well-known tribes in Israel. But they willingly offered themselves, and that's what God wants from you and I to willingly offer ourselves. There's three here. O ye kings, give ye uh, give ear, O oh ye princess. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, now notice this. Alright? And now we went through chapter 4. We went through that whole battle. And tell me if these things may... If this happened, what we're reading in chapter 5, tell me if that happened in chapter 4. Look at chapter 5, verse 4. Lord. Now you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D there. That is God. That is Jehovah God. That is... That is the I Am. That is the Almighty God. Notice what it says. Lord, when Thou... Alright? The word Thou there is referring to the Lord, to God. When Thou wentest out of Seir, when Thou marchest out of the fields of Edom, the earth trembled. Do you see that? Now, did we read in chapter 4 of there being an earthquake while Deborah and Barak were fighting? No, we did not. The Bible says, when the Lord ...marched out of the fields of of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped the clouds, also dropped water. Now let me show, keep your finger there in Judges chapter 5, and tonight's going to be very much more like a Bible study, but I want you to see this, alright? Keep your finger in Judges chapter 5, go with me to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 63. Now keep your finger in Judges 5, because we're going to be comparing these scriptures back and forth. I hope you, you got to put your uh, thinking cap on tonight, and we're going to look at a lot of different passages... And I want you to see this. Isaiah chapter number 63. Isaiah chapter number 63. Isaiah chapter number 63. And I want you to see this, okay? Now go back to Judges 5. Look at verse 4. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest... Notice what it says. When thou marchest out of the field of Edom. you see that? It says that the Lord marched out of Edom. I want you to make note of that. Look at Isaiah chapter 63. Look at verse 1. Who is this that cometh from... Do you see that? Are you there? Anybody out there? You way? wait? Isaiah 63, are you there? I want you to see this. Who is this that cometh from where? Edom. Do you see that? Is that what it said in Judges chapter 5? Who is this that cometh from Edom? Now who is this? Let's see what that's describing. With dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel traveling in the greatness of His strength. Now who do you think that's talking about? Who else would the Bible talk about? Someone who's traveling in the greatness of His strength. Someone that is glorious in His apparel. In the dyed garments of Basra. I, now notice the question is is this. Who is this that cometh from Edom, with thy garments from Basra? This that is a glorious and his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? That's the question. Here's the answer. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Do you see that? So who came out of Edom? He that speaks in righteousness, and he who is mighty to save. Now who's mighty to save? You know, that's Jesus Christ, that's God. Look at verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. Now I want you to make note of that phrase. Make note of that verse. Verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat. So he's described as this person. Red apparel. Remember, Garments from Basra, he, he, he treadeth in the wine fat. Look, verse 3 I have trodden down the wine press. Do you see that? I have trodden down the wine press alone, and of the people there was none with me, for I will tread them in mine anger. Make note of that word anger. I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments. And I will stain all my raiment. So we see this person, and we know it's God, coming out of Edom with a red garment. You say, why is it red? Because it's filled with blood. Whose blood? Not his. Not his blood, but he's trotting the winepress. He's literally trotting down people and their blood is being sprinkled on his, on his raiment. And he says, look at verse 3, I will tread them in my anger and tread in my fury. This is a sight of God that is not often looked at. There is four. For the day of love. Is that what it says? For the day of good treats. Is that what it says? For the day of vengeance is mine. Heart and the year of my Redeemer is come. And I looked and there was none to help. I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore my own heart. This is God speaking. Therefore my and by the way, the only person I can speak like this is God. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me, and my fury it upheld me. Verse six and I will tread down the people in my anger and make them drunk in my fury, and I will bring down their strength to the earth. Okay, so Judges chapter 5, we see the Lord coming out of Edom. Isaiah 63, we see someone coming out of Edom, and He's coming down in anger, He's coming down in fury, His, his garments are stained with blood, He is treading down the, the wine press, and, and, and the wine fat, and He's destroying His enemies. Go to Revelation chapter number 19. Revelation chapter 19. We're going to look at a lot of passages tonight, so you got to stick with it. Revelation chapter 19. Now, Revelation 19... I want you to look at verse number 11. Revelation 19, verse number 11. You have the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19, look at verse 11. We'll look at the context. You can get in its context. Revelation should be fairly easy to find. Last uh, book in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. The Bible says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, now remember in Isaiah 63? What did he say? He says he speaks righteousness, right? And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. That's Jesus Christ. Remember, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The was says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, as of the only begotten of the Son, full of grace and truth. Look at verse 14, Revelation nineteen fourteen. And the armies which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses. Who's that? That's you and I. That's the believers. We'll look at that. We'll see that in a second. So remember that. And the armies which were in heaven followed Him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Verse 15. And out of His mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it He shall smite the nations, and He shall rule them with a rod of iron. And He treadeth the winepress. Notice this. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Does that sound familiar? We just saw that in Isaiah 63. And He hath on His vesture and on His thigh a name written King of Kings and L-O-R-D, all capital letters, same, same guy. Lord of Lords. The Lord Jesus Christ comes back on a white horse in fury and anger. In the fierceness treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And according to Isaiah 63, He came out of Edom. And if you go back to Judges chapter 5... The Bible says in verse four, and when thou wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the fields of Edom, the earth trembled, and the clouds also brought water. Do you see how this is not just about Deborah and Barak, not just the battle that Deborah and Barak had at Megiddo, but the battle that the Lord Jesus Christ one day will come down on a white horse and he'll have at the Valley of Armageddon. You say I'm not I'm not convinced yet. You need more proof. Go back to Judges five, verse four, Lord. When thou wentest out of Seir. Do you see that? When thou wentest out of Seir. Seir is a connected with Edom, Esau. Okay? It says, Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir. Go to Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy chapter number 33. Deuteronomy is right before the book of Joshua, which is right before the book of Judges. Deuteronomy chapter number 33. And I want you to look at verse number... Let's see, what do I want you Deuteronomy chapter 33, look at verse number 2. Deuteronomy 33, verse number 2. I understand tonight's going to be probably more like a Bible study, but that's okay. Deuteronomy chapter 33, look at verse, th- verse 2. Of the Bible says, And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Seir. You see that? So where did the Lord come from? Where did He rise up from? Seer Unto them He shined forth from Mount Paran, and He came, notice this, He came with ten thousands of saints. Do you see that? From His right hand with a fiery law for them. So according to Deuteronomy 33, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Came from a seer, and he came with ten thousands of his saints. Now, what is that a reference to? Well, this verse is quoted back in the book of Jude, chapter number one. Go to the New Testament. Jude. Right before the book of Revelation, you got the book of Jude. Jude, there's only one chapter. I always say chapter number one. There's only one chapter. So don't get confused. Jude, look at verse number. Let's see. Jude chapter number 1 verse number 14 look what the Bible says Jude 1, 14. and Enoch remember Enoch also the seventh from Adam prophesied so you got a prophecy of these saying look what he says behold the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints you say who are those those were the guys in Revelation 19 that were riding behind Jesus Christ and those white horses remember he was dipped he had a vesture dipped in blood but the guys behind him they were white they had clothing that was white and clean who were those those are the saints that's you and I Now look when when he comes with 10,000 of, of his saints what does he come to do look at verse 15 to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. Did you notice how many times you use the word ungodly? You think God is trying to get a point across? He says, I'm angry. He says, I'm upset. He says, I'm coming back. And it's going to be at the valley of Armageddon that I will come in my fury, that I will come treading in the fierceness of the wine press of God. He said, I'm going to come and I'm going to... Go down. That's what he's saying. Go back to Judges chapter 5. He says, this is really about Armageddon. I think it's just about Barak. Okay. at verse 4 again, Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir, did we see Barak or Deborah come out of here? Either one of them, Lord. When thou marchest out of the fields of Edom, the earth trembled. Did we read of the earth trembling in Judges chapter number 4? No, we did not. But does the earth tremble at the battle of Armageddon with the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, let's look. Go to Revelation chapter number 16. Revelation chapter number 16. Revelation chapter number 16 And I want you to look at verse number 8. Now you need to understand this, okay? When you get to Revelation chapter 16, and specifically verse number 8, You've already had, uh, you, you, you already have the vials begin to open. Remember, in the book of Revelation, it's divided into, uh, you know, seven trumpets, and seven this, and seven that. you got the seven vials. When you get the vials out, you're already in the wrath of God. Okay, I don't have time to develop that. You study that out on your own. The, the rapture has already happened. Tribulation already happened. Rapture already happened. And God is pouring out His wrath when He's pouring out these vials. Look at verse 8. And the fourth angel poured out His vial, that's the fourth vial, upon the sun and power is given unto him to uh, scorch men with fire. That's not what I wanted. Good night. Uh, What did I say? Revelation 16. I'm sorry. I'm reading verse 8. Look at verse 18. That's what I want you to see. Revelation chapter 16, verse 18. I'm getting it all mixed up. Revelation 16, verse 18. Okay? So at verse 18, you've got vial number 7. This is the last vial. Okay? Look what it says. Revelation 16, 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. Then there was a great earthquake. Notice. Wasn't just any old earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. When God begins to pour out his wrath upon this earth, the greatest earthquake the world has ever known is going to happen. When? Keep your finger in Revelation 16. We're going to come right back to it, okay? When does that happen? Judges 5.4 4. Lord, when thou wentest out of Seir. When thou marchest out of the fields of Edom, the earth trembled. Now notice, not only did the earth tremble, the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped the water. I don't have time to develop that. You can ask me about that later if you want. Verse 5. I want you to see this. The mountains melted. Do you see that? Now, when Barak and Deborah were fighting Sisera, did the mountains melt away? I missed that in chapter 4. I mean, you'd think that'd be a pretty big thing to add there, wouldn't you? The mountains melted. But do they melt at the battle when God is pouring out His wrath? Go back to Revelation 16. Look at verse number 20. Well, look at verse 19 so you get the context. And the great city was divided into three parts. Remember, there was a great earthquake. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine, uh, wine of the fierceness of His wrath. Notice those words keep coming up. Look at verse 20. And every island fled away. And the mountains, look what it says, the mountains were not found. You say, why were the mountains... Somebody went out and say, oh, what happened to that mountain? What happened to Mount Everest? He said, I don't know, it's missing. What happened to it? It melted. It went away. When did it happen? Not when Barak was fighting. Not when Deborah was fighting. When did it happen? Go back to Judges 5. It happened when the Lord came out of Seir. When He marched out of Edom. The earth trembled. Verse 5. The mountains melted from before the Lord. Even that Sinai from before the Lord, God of Israel. Isn't that interesting? Number 6. In the day of Shamgar, the son of Anath. In the days of Jael. Shamgar was, uh, was, was one of the judges that we'd already looked at. Jael was the lady that, that performed the, the killing of Sisera. And the travelers walked through the byways. The inhabitants of the villages ceased. They ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods, then was born in the gates. Was there a shield or a spear seen among forty thousand in Israel? They weren't armed. Verse nine. My heart is toward the governors of Israel. They offered themselves willingly. I don't have time to develop that, but that's seen throughout the passage there. That they offered themselves willingly. They were willing to fight. We're talking about the actual battle of Barak, you know, and and the actual battle there with the tribes of Natali and and, uh, Zebulun. Verse 10. Speak ye that ride on white asses, ye that sit in judgment, and walk by the way. Verse 11. They that are delivered from the noise of archers in the places of drawing water... There shall they rehearse the righteous acts of the Lord, even the righteous acts toward the inhabitants of the village in Israel. Then shall the people of the Lord go down to the gates. Verse 12, I want you to notice. We're going to look at verse 12 here a little bit. Notice what it says. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, utter a song. Arise, Barak, and leave thy captivity captive, thou son of avinom Now in Judges chapter number 5, in verse 12, you find a very interesting phrase here that's very important, it says, lead thy captivity captive, do you see that? Now there are those who, and I, I wish I had time to develop all this, and I, and I don't, um, but there are those who believe, there's a doctrine called, the, the I don't know what it's called, the, the doctrine of paradise, I think this is what they call it, and, and I don't have time to, to, to develop it, if you want to learn about it, I actually got a, a, there's a sermon on our website, and I think it's called the doctrine of paradise, or the false doctrine of paradise, something like that. But there is a doctrine that is taught, that people teach, that in uh, hell, you know, because the Bible says that hell is in the center of the earth. The nether parts of the earth. And they say that in hell is this location called paradise. And you say, what is that? Well, it's like a resort in hell, I guess. It's just like this nice part of hell. And what they teach is, that when Old Testament saints died, they did not go to heaven, but they went down to paradise. And they teach when Jesus died, he did not go to hell, but he went to paradise. And when he resurrected, he brought those Old Testament saints from paradise, and he brought them up to heaven. You say, well, where do they get that? From this phrase, he led captivity captive. You're saying, how do you get all that from that? I don't know. I don't know how you get all that from that. And you say, well, Pastor, do you, do you believe that? I don't believe that. And here's why. It's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't teach the doctrine of paradise. And um, and I preached a whole sermon on that, and I can explain. You gotta understand, understand a few things, okay? The Bible says Jesus went to hell. I was very clear about that. And if he didn't go to hell, then he couldn't have saved us from our sins, okay? Because if all he did was die physically, then all he could save us was from a physical death. That's right. But you know, Christians still die physically. He had to go to hell to save us from hell. You understand that? So that paradise thing, okay. But here's the verse they use. They say, well, they go to this verse. They say, let captive be captive. Now keep your finger there in Judges chapter 5. And go to Ephesians chapter number uh, 5. Ephesians chapter number 5. Ephesians chapter number 5, you say. Okay. Ephesians chapter number 5. Now Ephesians chapter number 5. If you look at verse number 14. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. This is... The passage that they use, let's see here, good night. I don't want you in Ephesians 5. I'm gonna take I'm gonna have you go to Ephesians 5 14 in a second. I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 8. Ephesians chapter number 4 and verse number 8. I want you to see this, okay? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8. The Bible says, Wherefore he saved, when he ascended up on high, he left captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So, so they'll they'll turn to this verse and they'll say, See, here you go. He led captivity captive. So he, he let all those people captive. Now here's the thing, okay? And let me just give you a few... I don't have time to develop this. Just give you a few things to think about. Okay? Number one, if all Old Testament saints went to this place called paradise, why is there no verse in the Old Testament that mentions paradise? Number one. Number two, okay, why does the Bible tell us of people like Elijah being, going caught up and being caught up into heaven? And you say, well, what, what is the problem? Here's, you are what you understand. If you start teaching... That people did not go to heaven in the Old Testament. Then, when the Bible talks about the sons of God being in heaven in the Old Testament, then you got then then people say, well, 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 when the Bible says it's the sons of God, it's those aren't really like believers, like New Testament believers. Those are angels. Well, the Bible says in the book of, in the book of Hebrews that God never referred to an angel as His son. See, you start having these doctrines, and you mess one thing up, and then you got you got to mess this doctrine up to cover that one, and, and this one, and, 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 and you know you start preach false doctrine, and you know what messes you up—the Bible. Well, you just come to the Bible and say, "Well, the, the Bible's true." Amen. You know, who are the sons of God that appeared with Satan? Who are the sons of God today? Believers. Amen. You know, but you start messing up all these doctrines. Okay, so you got this phrase, "Led captivity captive." That's your number one phrase. He led them. But here's the thing: the Bible says we ought to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. Amen. So if there's only, there's only three times that phrase is used in Scripture. Land, captivity, captive. The first one is found in in Judges. So shouldn't we allow those references to guide us into what it means in Ephesians chapter 5? Okay, so what is it? Keep your finger there in Ephesians 4. Go back to Judges chapter 5. Look at verse 12. Awake, awake Deborah, awake, awake. Utter a song, arise Barak and lead. Notice Barak and lead thy captive, thou son of Abedal. You say, what is that talking about? Okay, let's just look at the words. Leave thy captivity. Was Barak under captivity? Yes, he was. They were not free, remember? They were serving this king and, and they went to war to get their freedom. He says, leave your captivity captive. Here's what he's saying. Those that captured you, you go and capture them. Is that what Barak did? He was under captivity, and he went and fought a battle, and now they're running from him, not him running from them. If you look at the context of the story, that's what happened. You say, Well, what does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Okay? Here's what you gotta understand, okay? Everything in the Bible for a reason. Did you notice? I don't know if you noticed these words. I think God really wanted us to see these words. You see this word? Awake. Do you see this word? Awake. Do you see this other word? It says Deborah, then it says what? Awake, then it says what? Awake, utter a song, arise, Barak, and leave that captive again. Four times in that verse God says, Awake, 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 awake. Do you think God is trying to get us to notice the word awake in that verse? God, you're kind of overkilling it. He's like, I want you to notice something. Awake. Why do you think He put that in there four times? Because I think that word is going to help us realize what this verse is talking about. So what does the word awake have to do with anything? go to Job chapter 14 Job chapter 14 let's let's look at this I know I'm giving you a lot but you need a lot Job chapter 14 look at verse 12 let's figure out what this word awake is talking about Job chapter 14 look at verse 12 Job right before the book of Psalms chapter 14 verse 12 this is Job speaking so man lies down and rises not now when a man lies down and doesn't get back up what do we call that? dead <laughs> so man lies down and rises not he rises not until, you said that word till there? it means until, until the heavens be no more so when the heavens are no more a reference to the heavens being rolled up like a scroll man lies down and rises not, but when will he rise till the heavens be no more they shall not awake you see that word? Nor be raised. Do you see the word "raised" there? Out of their sleep. So when will they be raised out of their sleep? When will they awake? When the heavens be no more? It sounds to me like the word "awake" has to do with the resurrection of the dead. You need more proof? Go to Psalm 17, look at verse 15. You're there in Job. Very next book is Psalms. Psalms 17. Look at verse number 15. Psalm 17. Look at verse number 15. Psalm 17 and verse number 15. Psalm 17... In verse number 15... Look what this says... As for me... I will behold thy face... In righteousness... I shall be satisfied... Notice what he says... When I awake with thy likeness... So the psalmist here tells us... That one day... He's going to behold the face of someone in righteousness and he'll be satisfied and when he is awoken or when he wakes up he will have the likeness of the person that he saw the face of who's that talking about like, well, let's use, let's allow the bible to interpret itself go to 1st John chapter number 3 1st John, I know I'm giving you a lot, just write some notes down and nod, the faster you go through this if I feel like you're understanding it then we'll move on 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John, towards the end of the new testament, chapter number 3, look at verse 2. So the psalmist said, when I awake, he said, I, 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 shall, I, I, he said, I will behold thy face, and when I awake, I will awake with thy likeness. 1 John chapter number 3, verse 2. The Bible says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. Is that angels? No, that's you not. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when He, talking about Jesus, shall appear, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. 1 John 3 2 says, when Jesus appears, we will look at Him. And when we see Him, we will be like Him. What does that mean? We will get our glorified bodies like He has a glorified body. So when you go back to Psalm 1715, that's talking about what? The resurrection. Because He says, I will behold thy face in righteousness, and when I behold thy face in righteousness, I will be satisfied. He said, I will awake with thy likeness, I shall see Him, and I will be like Him. Amen. So, what is that word awake associated with? The resurrection? You need more proof? Go to Daniel chapter number 12. In Daniel chapter number 12. I have to flip through my Bibles a lot, because I'm not... I do this from time to time, and I don't like doing it. But I'm preaching with no notes tonight. Now, I've got notes, they're just in my Bible. So i got to flip back and forth. Daniel chapter number 12. Look at verse number 2. Daniel chapter 12, look at verse 2. You say, why are you showing us so much Bible? Because if I show you a lot of Bible, then you can't fight it. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just got to fight the Bible. And it's hard to fight the Bible. Daniel chapter 12, look at verse 2. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth. you see that? And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Who sleeps in the dust of the earth? Dead bodies. But they're going to awake, notice, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. What is that talking about? I mean, is it pretty clear that the word awake has to do with the resurrection? You need more proof? Go to Ephesians chapter 5. That should be easy because we were just in Ephesians 4. So look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter number 5, look at verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14. Just to make sure that we just really, you know, we just want to really make sure this dead horse is actually dead. Look at verse 14. Ephesians 5, 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake. You see that word? Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. I mean, could it be any more clear than that? And Christ shall give thee life. So what is that word awake associated with? Resurrecting from the grave. Okay? Go back to Judges chapter 5. Now keep you're in Ephesians. We're coming right back to it. Keep you're in Ephesians. Go to Judges chapter 5. Look at verse 12. Awake! Awake, Deborah! Awake! Awake! Under a song! Arise! Okay, that word arise. You see that? Awake! Arise, Barak, and leave thy captivity captive, thou son of Abino. See. It has to do, that word captivity captive has to do with the resurrection. That's why God mentioned the word awake four times, because he wanted us to look into it. Barak led his captivity captive. Here's what you understand. He was under captivity. He was being held, and what he did was he got his freedom from that which was capturing him, and he captured that which was capturing him. He led his captivity into captivity. Go, Go to Ephesians chapter number five. Look at verse... I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 8. So if Barak led that which was capturing him, and overcame it, and captured it, what was capturing Jesus Christ? Was it Old Testament saints? Look at verse 8. Wherefore he said, when he ascended up on high... The word ascend means he went above... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So, when did he lead captivity? When did he put that which captured him into captivity? When he ascended on high. When did he ascend on high? Look at verse 9. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? You see that? What is in the lower parts of the earth? Hell. So you got to understand this. When Jesus died, he was not captured by Old Testament saints, he was captured by death and hell. He was in captivity to death and hell. But when he awoke, when he resurrected, he got the victory over death, he got the victory over hell, just like Barak got the victory over that which captured him. Does that make sense? And when you study spiritual things with spiritual things, you, you realize that God make sure that we understand. This phrase, captivity captive, has to do with the resurrection. Let were saying, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. See, Jesus Christ died, and he was captured by death. He was captured by hell. But he led captivity captive. That which was capturing him, he captured it. He has, the book of Revelation tells us, now he has the keys of death and hell. Now he has it. That which was capturing him. Now he has the keys of that prison, and he's got the control over death now. He awoke. This has nothing to do with some sort of a Marriott Inn in hell. I mean, I don't even know where you get that from. And I, and I know there's verses. Jesus said to the, to the thief on the cross, he said, you know, the thief on the cross said, Remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom... And Jesus' response was, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now, realize, He said, Remember me when you go in your kingdom. And Jesus responded, Yes, when I go into my kingdom paradise, you'll be there with me. Are we supposed to believe that the kingdom of God is in hell? And, and there's so many verses. I mean, the book of Revelation completely just refers to heaven as paradise. Okay, so you can study that out on your own if you like. But I just want you to understand this. When you go to Judges chapter 5... You look at these verses and they have to do with the battle of Armageddon. You look at verse 12 and it has to do with the resurrection of the dead. I mean, this has a lot to do with old uh, end prophecy, don't you think? Look at verse 13. Then He made Him that remaineth have dominion over the nobles among the people. The Lord made me have dominion over the mighty. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek after thee. Benjamin among thy people out of Maker came down uh, governors and out of Zebulun. They that handled the pen of the writers the, and the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak. He was sent on foot into the valley for the divisions of Reuben there were great thoughts uh, uh, thoughts of heart. Now, now notice this if it has nothing to do with that like prophecy at least not. That. I can see but look at verse 16 remember he kept saying they willingly offered themselves remember he kept saying they offered themselves willingly among the people he's talking about the two tribes Zebulun and Naphtali but in verse 16 he begins to rebuke the tribe that did not come to the battle he said why abode thou among the sheepfolds to hear the bleeding of the flocks for the division of Reuben there was great searching of hearts he said Reuben why don't you come to the battle he said, why did you abode, why did you stay in the ships?" poles? Look 17. Gilead abode beyond Jordan. He said, Gilead, where were you? And why did Dan remain in ships? Dan was a tribe. He said, Dan, where, where was Dan? Why were they in the ships? Asher continued on the seashore and abode in his beaches. In his breeches. <laughs> Verse 18, Zebulon and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto death in the high place of the field. So he's saying here, look, the only people that came to the battle were Zebulon and Naphtali. They offered themselves willingly among the people. They gave themselves willingly. And God is saying, where were you? And you know, God says that to you and I. Oh, they don't need me to go reach. Look, God doesn't need anything, but he wants you there. They don't need me to go soul winning. God, God doesn't need anybody, but he wants you there. And he wants to know, where were you? Where were you when we were in the midst of the battle? Where were you when we were in the midst of the fight? Verse 19, the kings. See that plural there, kings? Were they fighting multiple kings? Now Jesus Christ will be fighting multiple kings. The kings came and fought, then fought the kings of Canaan and Tanakh by the waters of Armageddon. Armageddon, Megiddo. They took no gain of money. They fought, notice verse 20, they fought from heaven. Now notice this. The stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Did we read in Judges chapter 4 that stars were fighting in the battle? No, we did not. But yet the Bible tells us here that the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. Now that word courses there. I don't have time to develop this. You can look this up on your own. The word courses there is not like a college course, okay? The word courses is talking about divisions. Like, you know how the army, they have their, uh, you know, they have their companies and their divisions. In the Air Force, we had flights, you know. Uh, you had this flight and that flight. I don't know, different, different, uh, I don't know any other branch that they have. Navy has ships. <laughs> but, you know, they, they divide military into these battalions, these troops. And he's saying, the stars were divided into courses, and they fought against Sisera. Now, you gotta you got to understand this, okay? Just take my word for it, I'll prove it to you in a second. Sisera is a picture of Satan, devil. Okay? Satanás. And uh, the stars are fighting in their courses against this Sisera. You say, well, who are those stars? Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter number 12. The, the, the word stars is used a lot throughout the Bible to mean different things, and but I'll tell you what I believe those stars are Revelation chapter 12 look at verse 4 actually just just, let's begin reading at verse number uh, 3 Revelation chapter 12 verse three. and there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon who's that? that's Satan having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven do you see that? Now who do we know those are? Those were angels that came with Satan and they became demons, right? So what does God call the stars in? He calls them the angels. Those fallen angels. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven. And it cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. Which was ready to be delivered. For to devour her child as soon as it was born. And there's a lot there. We'll preach to that some other time. But it tells us there. And it calls those. That, that third part of the angels. That came down with Satan. It refers to those as the stars of heaven. Go back to Judges chapter 5. Look at verse 20. Now, he took a third of the stars, so that left two-thirds of the stars. He took a third of the angels, so that left two-thirds of the angels. They fought from heaven. Where are they coming from? Heaven. They fought from heaven. The stars, the angels in their courses, fought against the devil, Sisera. See, it's not just a physical battle, it's a spiritual battle. It's not just a physical battle. It is a battle between the angelic beings and the demons. The river of Kishon, verse 21, swept them away, that ancient river, the river Kishon, O my soul, thou hast trodden down strength. Then were the horse hoofs broken by the means of the prancing, the prancings of their mighty ones. Now, I, you know, let me just say this. Remember in Judges chapter 4? Remember one of the big deals was that they had those uh, chariots of iron? Remember that? Now, you know, we read that and we think, oh, you know, that's no big deal. But listen to me. If you are a foot soldier going to fight someone that has a horse and a chariot, that's not a good thing. <laughs> I mean, that, you, you're not going to be thinking that you're going to get But see, God took care of it, because notice what He did. Verse 22, Judges chapter 5, verse 22. Then were the horse posts broken. See, the world they, they had this well we've got we've got horses, they don't have horses, we've got chariots, they don't have chariots. God makes the hoofs of the horses get broken and completely decommissioned. All the horses decommissioned all the all, all the chariots, and now you've got an equal fight. It's amazing what God does. But see, they have to go to the fight for God to do that for them. Which is interesting. Look at verse 23. Curse ye, Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse ye bitterly, the inhabitants thereof, because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Now notice that. Because they came not to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Verse 23. God doesn't need your help, but He wants you there. God doesn't need you, but He wants you there. Verse 24. This is the last thing I'm going to show you, we'll be done, okay? Blessed above women shall J.L. Remember J.L.? Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, be blessed. Shall she be above women in the tent? He asked water, and she gave him milk. She brought forth butter and a lordly dish. I want you to notice verse 26. She put her hand to the nail, and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera, she smote off his head, when she had pierced and stricken through his temples. Now this did happen in Judges chapter 4, but I want you to just notice something. As we've been going through this passage, have you noticed that we've been talking about end-time prophecy? We saw the resurrection. We saw the Battle of Armageddon. We saw Jesus Christ coming down in a white horse with ten thousands of his saints. Notice the last thing you see here. You see a woman with a nail and a hammer smoting off the head of Sisera, who represents who? The devil. Now you say, well, what's the connection here? Go to Genesis chapter number 3. We're almost done. Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis chapter number 3. Genesis should be fairly easy to find. First book in the Bible. Genesis chapter number 3. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned against God? And God came down and gave them all their punishments, what they were going to have to do? God gave a prophecy in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Notice what he says. He says, and I will put enmity... That means he was going to put them at odds. He was going to make them fight. He said, I will put enmity between thee... Okay, he's talking to the serpent, which is who? Satan. He said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman... Okay, that's Eve, but that's mankind. That's who she represents. And between thy seed, the seed of Satan... And her seed, the seed of the woman, and it, okay, that's Satan's seed, it, uh, I'm sorry, that's the woman's seed, it shall bruise thy head, talking to the serpent, okay, so the seed of the woman is going to bruise the head of who? Satan. And thou, talking about Satan, shall bruise his heel. Do you see that? So, Satan is going to bruise Whose heel? The seed of the woman. Now let me ask you a question. If you had the choice of having someone, you know, kick you in the heel or kick you in the head, which one would you go for? I <laughs> think hey, we'd all go for the heel, right? The heel can be annoying. The head can kill you. You understand that? God said that Satan seed would bruise the heel of the woman's seed, but the woman's seed would bruise the head of Satan. Now, when did Satan... Go to John. John chapter number 20. Real quickly, John chapter 20. When did Satan bruise the heel of the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ? When did he do that? Anybody out there? Anybody know? When he nailed him on the cross... Alright, you got to understand this. In John chapter number 20. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan bruised the heel of Jesus Christ. John chapter number 20. Now when Jesus died on the cross, how was he hung on the cross? Look at verse number 25. John chapter 20 verse 25. Remember Doubting Thomas? John 20 verse 25. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Notice what Thomas said about Jesus. He said, except I shall see in His hand the print of the what? Nails. Do you see that? And put my finger in the print of the nails and thrust my hand in His side, I will not believe. So when the serpent bruised the heel of the seed of the woman, how did He do it? By nailing Him to a cross. It's not a coincidence that God explains to us that one day, the seed of that woman, and he uses a woman to illustrate that. He says, "You're going to bruise my heel by nailing me on the cross, but the woman's going to bruise your head by nailing it by putting a nail through your head." You see that? You see? He's using the same. He's using the illustration of the same tools. Why? Because Jesus was physically nailed on the cross. Okay, but what was actually done to him? He went to hell. Satan tried to bruise Jesus, destroy Jesus, by sending Him to hell. But did Jesus stay there? No. Why? Because He awoke. Because He led captivity captive. He got the victory. But guess what? One day, so the woman's seed is going to bruise the head of Satan, and He's going to do the same thing to Satan that Satan did to Him. God is going to send Satan to hell. But guess what? When Jesus went to hell, it was a bruise to the heel. It was a minor setback. It was three days and he arose. When, de- when Satan goes to hell, Jesus is going to smote his head. Jesus is going to take care of him for good. Look, look at verse 26, Judges 5, verse 26. We're done right here. She put her hand to the nail and her right hand to the workman's hammer. And with the hammer she smote Sisera. She smote off his head. Now the Bible doesn't tell us in Judges chapter 4 that she smote off his head. When she had pierced and stricken through his temples. Now notice this, I like this, verse 27. At her feet. Now we're not talking about her, but we're talking about the woman's seat. At her feet, the woman's seat, he bowed. You see that? He fell. He lay down. At her feet, the woman's seat, he bowed. He fell. Where he bowed, there he fell down dead. I think God is, keeps repeating that because He wants us to realize... That you know right now Satan is the, has, is the prince of the power of this world... But you know what? One day he's going to bow... To the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. In fact not only is Satan going to bow... But everyone's going to bow. The Bible says that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess... That Jesus Christ is Lord. Now you can confess that... By your own volition on earth and go to heaven... But everyone will confess it at one point. Satan will confess it. He will bow. But God will send him to hell. He bruised her heel. He'll bruise his head. See, the story of Deborah here, Judges chapter 5, this song, it is about the battle that took place in chapter 4. But there's more than that. When they went to battle in that valley of Armageddon, Deborah and Barak were allowed to look into the future and see that future battle of Armageddon. When Jesus Christ would come back, they took care of Sisera here. Jesus Christ will take care of Sisera there. It's amazing what you can learn from the Bible if you get in and kind of dig a little bit, you know what I mean? You say, well, what does this have to do with anything? Here's what you need to understand from this, okay? God's judgment is coming upon the earth. That's what, that's what that team souling, you know all that team souling stuff about that we we're talking about this morning. Say, why? Why does it matter? Why go out and preach the gospel? Why get people saved? Why? Because they can either confess with their mouth now, or they will confess before they get thrown into the lake of fire. But if we can go and preach the gospel to them, maybe we can keep them from having to have the same faith that Satan the will what they have. That's what we need to do. Go out and preach the gospel. We can't make sure they get. We can't get them saved. I wish I could get them saved. We can't get them saved, but we at least give them the opportunity to be saved.
1: Remember the quote in the bulletin?
0: Everyone in hell wasn't that they were a lot of people in hell wasn't that they were unreachable it's just that they never got reached. Let that not be said of the Sacramento area with Barney Baptist Church. Let us go out and preach the gospel and try to get people saved because Judgment Day is coming. Bow our head, never have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord we love you. Thank you for our church, Lord. Father, I understand that we're not the biggest church in town. And we're not the fanciest church. We don't have all the nice buildings and all the cool toys. But we got the Word of God. That's all we need. Lord, I thank You that there are places like our church and other churches that are still preaching the Bible, that are still taking an accurate look at God, not teaching some false idol of a God who's just... Always happy and never upset. But there is anger. There is judgment. There is wrath. It is coming. I pray you'd help us prepare for that. I pray you'd help us to be able to reach people so that they don't have the same outcome that Sisera had. Father, we love you. In your presence name, I pray. Amen.